everyone bring their umbrellas. It's raining squids. Welcome back to the Watchmen podcast, where we recap and review and break down each episode of the new HBO series. Today we're breaking down episode two entitled Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship, directed by Lindelof and written by Lindelof and... Nick Cuse. Nick Cuse, who I don't know this guy. He worked on The Leftovers, a thing I talk too much about. Yeah, I haven't seen The Leftovers. We talked about Lindelof last week. Uh, I don't know, did he write your favorite episode or anything? Oh, we, we Nick Hughes? I don't know if he wrote my favorite episode. I just knew that he was on the writing staff there, and that's where Lindelof knew him from. And he's going to be producing slash writing a show with the guy who just made that Beatles movie yesterday. Did you see that? I didn't see it. I thought about seeing it, though. Mm, that basically is the same thing. So... I've been I've been hearing a lot of good buzz about this series. A lot of people I know are watching it, certainly more than we're watching Westworld. And the reviews for episode one and two were really good. They, they've both been really good. I'm actually, I, you know, I never saw The Leftovers, and I was not a fan of Lost. But I'm impressed with Lindelof and the way that he's handling this source material, I think, is really good. It's sad that Alan Moore is never going to watch it because uh, it's actually really respectful to the the comic and it actually takes it in really interesting places oh it's it's actually really good there was one point where i was completely like i've been sold on the show multiple times but the tmz reporters who have wings and they're called moths and then they just like fly around and take pictures uh that i was like that's like it feels like it was bojack horseman for a moment but in real life so this episode, uh, it's another cold open. This time we're in Germany during World War One in one of those, like, military typewriter mills, like in uh, Saving Private Ryan. But this time on the German side, they're all typing digital. It's, 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 a, it's a room full of women, which, just like in Saving Private Ryan, I guess this is what you would call a pink-collar job, these typewriter mills. And one of them gets called into the boss man's office because she speaks and, I guess, writes English. I love typewriters. So does Adrian Veidt. He is also using a typewriter to write his weird, weird plays. Yeah, so does Damien Lindelof, clearly. Yeah, no, he they're into typewriters. And back in this alternate version of Nazi Germany... They are uh, they're writing letters, and and this guy has something to write. By the way, I will point out, just reading a thing, Watchmen premiere draws 1.5 million viewers, delivering HBO's strongest digital debut since Westworld. He wants her to write up a propaganda letter, which they're going to send out to the black soldiers in World War One. that were still all black platoons, which is something that went back to the days of the Civil War, and it's a propaganda letter that they're going to drop via plane, which is a thing that they used to do, uh, these leaflets basically telling them to give up fighting for America because it's a racist apartheid state, and turn cloak over to Germany where they'll be treated like human beings. This letter would eventually go on to be OB's letter, where he writes on the back of it, or at least his father writes on the back of it, you know, please watch out for this child. So it dropped out of the air, and it, he used it for for better or for worse to help his son out. James, I'm gonna. I have. I need to like tell you three things right now. Are you ready for the three things? Mm-hmm. Do you want the good news or the bad news first? Uh, well, obviously the good news. 
Okay, here's the good news. And this is completely off topic, but I just like need to tell you about it, okay? Mm-hmm. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss have exited the Star Wars trilogy. No! Who cares? I okay. also heard I also heard they took Ryan Johnson's Star Wars trilogy away. Are they just yanking trilogies these days? Yeah, this we probably should have got into this before we started the recap because now I want to talk about this. No, <laughs> no. Okay, well we we, we can uh, we'll tease it and we'll talk about this at the end because I'll just tell you the other two things and then we'll keep going with the Comanche horsemanship. Number two, I have gotten two hours of sleep, and number three, that last episode I listened to it back, and it sounds like I was trying purposely to do ASMR. That is not the case. There was somebody else in the room asleep while I was doing it, so I was just like trying to be quiet. But now, do, is this like my theme now? Do I have to do this re- recap and review? No, I think podcast? it was. Good. I think a lot of people probably got pretty turned on uh, by your ASMR sure. voice. So. Sure. I, I, yeah, it was real low. Like I was just not trying to, you know, wake someone up. But now this time around, I'm the one not trying to wake myself up from this sleep state. Yeah, it was Ryan's birthday last night. The big, the big 25. I'm 32 years old. I almost said the wrong age. <laughs> Great. So yeah, the leaflets were dropped on on black soldiers, including what Obi's dad, who passed it along to him. And he cut to where the last episode left off. He's still holding it when Angela drives up to find him and next to Judd hanging from the tree. Still very much a bummer. Still, you had Don Johnson, Watchmen, and you killed him off episode one. You're going to have to explain to me what exactly you're going to do to make it up to me. How dare you? She takes OB to the bakery that's not exactly a bakery, handcuffs him to something or other, and he has pills and the letter. She starts to make coffee, and then she goes in the back and just really lets out a good cry. She moves on to interrogating Ob, and he just keeps, you know, she's like, "Who are you?" He's like, "I'm the man who strung up your sheriff," and he just keeps repeating Annoying. that line. She, he, she's asking him how he possibly could have hung a man since he's 105, and he's, "Oh, you know, I'm actually Doctor Manhattan, and I used my psychic powers to hang him up there." Do you think this is Doctor Manhattan, James? Well, he makes the claim that you know Doctor Manhattan, with all his powers, certainly he could just transform into a normal person. Begs the question why why he wouldn't choose to do so instead of being a big blue freak. Maybe he thinks it's just like lying and he's anti-lying. Also, there's cool music during this scene that while it was happening, I was like, oh, Nine Inch Nails made this music. She challenges him to use his psychic powers to grab his medication and he can't do it. And he admits that he's not Dr. Manhattan. And yeah, she can't really get any useful information out of him. So she she uses the coffee cup that he was drinking to take the medication and she stashes that in a bag. And that's when she gets a pager from the other cops. Yeah. In between her getting to the bakery and now she has put on her uniform, which is, you know, her superhero outfit. Right. And she was about to break down crying and then she put on the costume. Right, and after you put on the mask, there's no more crying because it's time to work. Right, well, there's a lot of, like, like psychological and philosophical ideas about the mask and how, you know, when you're at the masquerade ball and no one knows the identity of the person that you have to pretend to be all the time, your public identity, that's when the real you comes out, right? Exactly. She is no longer herself. After she answers her page, she just, like pretends not to know Judd is dead. He's like, oh my god. 
you, you're kidding me. I'll be right there. Yeah, I think the idea is that she she maybe thinks that you know this crazy old man is being set up as a patsy, and she doesn't want to have him be arrested because a maybe he's innocent, and b it'll hinder the actual investigation. Right. So she gets on out of there. We cut to a little side. There were like two or three times where they just kind of put short films that so far don't have anything to do with the main plot just in the middle of this show and this is the first one where they show a newspaper stand and it's talking about how the the squids are raining from the sky and redford is he's making the squids do it and then a young hip lady gets all out of a car and picks up all the different papers for obviously someone else because the guy is like does she read all these and then the lady was like Yes. Yeah, I'm glad we're going to get a newsstand guy. I hope this is a recurring character because there was an unnamed newspaper stand man in the original comic book. And those are actually some of the best scenes where it's just him kind of bullshitting about the the political situation in America. And that's kind of what they were doing in this scene, too. So uh, I hope that that's a recurring callback. Right. And the young hip lady's boss is most likely going to be a future main character. Angela arrives at the crime scene where the other detectives are waiting for her. There's some paparazzi flying around uh, with little wings, and Red Scare kind of rips one out of the sky. Or no, he drops from the sky, and then Red Scare beats him up, and he calls him a stupid fucking moth. And I guess maybe they're using the same technology which allowed Mothman, who was one of the original superheroes from the crime-fighting team, the Minutemen, and... Red Scare's, like, totally lost it over the death of Judd. Looking Glass seems a lot more calm. He pulls Angela in and tries to question her. He makes the remark, oh, you were with him last night. And she's kind of shocked because she wonders if he knows, but he means at the party. She reveals, yeah, he had a couple drinks. Yeah, he probably did some lines. Yeah, he, he was snorting the white pony. And, right, yeah, Looking Glass is basically just, like, straight up accusing her of i don't know exactly what but something she asks if he suffered and looking glass is like oh yeah yeah he was alive the whole time it was a real bummer somehow she he brings up her kids and at this point we don't exactly know who angela's children are but we know that they're most likely adopted as they are not exactly the same color as her mother and father so or she brings up her kids and he's like, you mean your kids? And then she says, fuck you, you shiny fuck, which is probably the best line that's been said in this show so far. As you mentioned, there is a moth in the sky. Red Scare drags it out of the sky and starts beating the shit out of it. And then <laughs> the moth is like, get off me, you Nazi. And he's like, I'm not a Nazi. I'm a communist. Right. Which is, you know, in America, we've kind of conflated all forms of totalitarianism like you know people are like oh those nazi communists in the ussr but actually you know if you if you look at the history of it the russian communists were like the ultimate arch nemesis of the german nationalists and uh he's you know that's an important distinction to him i guess cuz he's the russian communist superhero and she uh <laughs> like she calls looking glass one cold son of a bitch and he's like then how come i'm crying under here 
<laughs> Timothy Blake Nelson is actually so good. Also, he he moves the cup with the DNA on it in the bag as he gets in the car, so he might know that she's doing something extracurricular, but uh, he doesn't even bring it up. Then they, you know, they all get out. They take Judd down, and like Angela hugs Judd as she takes him down, which forces her to have a whoa, 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 flashback. Yeah, we see what happened to her on the day of the White Night when the Rorschach terrorists attacked all of the Tulsa PD in their homes. And she, well, this is a little bit confusing because two attackers enter her home. Her husband is safe. She kills one of the attackers. The other one points his gun right in her face like, oh, she's dead. But then she wakes up in the hospital and her head has not been blown off and Judd is there. We don't figure out why the second guy with the gun right to her forehead doesn't kill her. So that will be a question that is answered in the future. Judd apologizes for letting her down. Angela learns in that moment that Doyle and Jenny are dead. Doyle being her ex-partner now. And that Chris heard the gunshot wounds. Chris being their son. They said... or. Angela corrects Judd and saying he goes by Topher. Judd says Calvary has everyone's names and all the rest of the police are resigning. And we can also infer that Topher is one of Angela's adopted children and her children are most likely from her ex-partners. You know, they, her ex-partner had the, had the babies, but then got shot. Right. It seems her, her two oldest kids are her slain partner's kids, which she adopted after the White Knight. And then her youngest daughter is probably her biological child. Right. And Judd also got shot. He's sitting there real sad about it. Also, looks like he straight got shot. And this seems to be like they had more of a chief of police, beat cop kind of boss employee relationship. But now this is when it seems like their friendship is sparking and she's adamant that she won't be quitting the force and that she wants to get her revenge on the cavalry. After this, we flash back to the present where they go to the Nixon camp, a RV camp with uh, Nixon giving the two peace signs in front of it as their their symbol and savior and their red scare looking glass and Angela are basically there to just wrap, get everyone in a van and they will do it. Come hell or high water. Right. Red scare threatens them that if they don't all just turn themselves over for questioning, he's going to rip down the statue of Nixon and he gets a bottle thrown at him and a riot breaks out and the police are just smashing skulls left and right. Someone goes to get, looking glass as he's talking to Angela and Angela just beats him into a pulp. Although Angela doesn't want to be doing any of this because at this point she kind of feels in her bones that someone in Nixonville or the Nixon camp or whatever you would like to call it didn't do this so she feels like this is just kind of a waste of time. Right. She might have the killer back in her lair. She has a person who has very previously said like I did it. So, to be fair, I, I guess that I, we, we could understand why she'd be like, this, we shouldn't be rounding up all these dusty white people. 
Something that I want to talk about really quick. I always had the theory reading the comic book, and I think that Zack Snyder and Damien Lindelof probably also think this, that in the parallel universe that Watchmen takes place in, I think that one of the things that's different is that the dichotomy between the weak and the strong is much greater. As in, like, strong people can achieve a level of strength where a normal person just can't compete with them, which seemed to be the case in the comic, and it seems like they're they're going forward with this too because these average goons just, like, cannot touch Angela. You mean that... If you wear a superhero costume or if you're a dusty white person, you will never, ever have the same martial arts skills. No, just like if you if you work out and if you train, you will achieve a much greater level of strength than you would in reality. And the average person who doesn't work out and doesn't train is just like pathetically weak next to you. Is that the only way a real-life version of a superhero could actually exist outside of Dr. Manhattan? Like, Dr. Manhattan is straight-up Superman, but he's chilling on Mars, so we don't have to worry about him for right now. But other than that, if you decide to put on a mask, then and you train a bunch, and you become, like, a dope at martial arts... There, Yeah, there is this weird chasm between just a regular dusty person and regina kelly's angela who looks like a kung fu master getting attacked by a putty from the power rangers show in the 1990s right because it realistically if you surrounded batman with 10 guys he's going down yeah he's getting he's getting crapped on she takes the cup with the dna sample on it to a cultural heritage center and there are some redneck protesters outside saying, red predations are wrong or whatever. And They're mad they don't have the money. Right. So apparently President Robert Redford has established, we talked about this last episode, a system of racial reparations. And one of them is centered in Tulsa and has to do with the Black Wall Street Massacre. And she brings the cup into this, like, computer panel which is like talking AI. It kind of reminded me of Back to the Future 2 a little bit because it's it's a sophisticated talking hologram person but with stilted language like Siri. And the person actually talking to her is the United States Treasury Secretary. He is having you consent to a DNA test, put said DNA in his little mouth cubby, and seeing if the DNA that is attached to said Q-tip in the mouth cubby is eligible for reparations or something else to that effect from the Black Wall Street, from the Tulsa Massacre, which, again, there would be like, why would there ever be people still alive, still around, who would be well, affected that, by this at all? That's why they're doing the DNA test, because it's, it's not just for people who were directly affected, but for their descendants as well. Right, and I just t- took a DNA test, and... A hundred percent, I'm that bitch. <laughs> Do you know Lizzo, James? That was a straight. That was a Lizzo joke. Oh. But either way, either way, it was on and popping. Angela gets home, and one of her adopted kids' relatives—it's not clear who he is—in relationship to them, but he's an also like a dusty racist white dude with a heavy accent, and he's there for his visitation rights. But Angela's husband won't let him in, and clearly she doesn't want him here either, so she just pays him off to go. 
I assume it's her ex-partner's father. Like, I assume it's the kid's grandfather. But you're right. It could be anybody. And then Angela walks upstairs after having a conversation with Cal, her husband, to do the part that was the trailer. She does the trailer with her son, the lollipops and rainbows monologue. And, hey, James, is the sun making a thing float? I don't think he's making it float. I think it's just a sophisticated high-tech toy. Yeah, he. this kid's extremely world-weary already because she tells him that Judd's dead and he is visibly affected, but he doesn't cry or anything. He's just like, well, he's a cop and there's a lot of bad guys out there, so this was bound to happen one day or another. I mean, his father was a cop and he died, so his feelings on the subject are, well, historically, the evidence would suggest that cops die. He tells her that he doesn't want her to tell his little sisters right away and that he'll tell them tomorrow himself. Which is admirable of him. And also, I need to know if he's making this stupid castle float or if it's just like a floating toy. Has Dr. Manhattan also created a world where the toys float? The next sequence was my favorite of the episode. The best part of a great episode, I thought. Angela and her family, as well as the looking glass in his helm, as well as some members of the 7th Cavalry building some kind of contraption, are all watching the premiere episode of American Hero Story, which has an enormous content warning in front of it. All of the fighting in American Hero Story is like weird exaggerated slow-mo yeah maybe take that Zack snyder right and literally pow wow bam american hero story starts with uh, the origin story of hooded justice who was the very first masked hero in the watchman story a pharmacy is being robbed by some band what do you call that some bandits yeah, but what do they what do they got? What that's some handkerchiefs. Bandanas, damn. Yeah, some bandits for they have bandanas, that's why they're called bandits, yeah, the, James. The bandana bandits are attacking a pharmacy, and Hooded Justice just comes in and just mercilessly crushes their skulls and beats the absolute shit out of them. Probably you know, not not tantamount to the amount of money they were gonna get away with. But yeah, Hooded Justice isn't having any of this. And uh, really just destroys these would-be robbers. And uh, the pharmacist asks him, who are you? And he you know, he goes on to say that uh, he doesn't really know who he is. He dis- feels dissociated from the violent, angry person he sees in the mirror. And that's why he's put on the mask to be able to merge his ego with that person that he doesn't recognize. And if he knew who he was, he wouldn't be wearing the damn mask. He says the F word because <laughs> in the I just found it funny because in the trailer he said, if I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't be wearing a mask. But in the show, he says, if I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't be wearing a fucking mask. And I was like, ooh, HBO. <laughs> so edgy. Angela goes to Judd's house for his wake and is greeted by Jane and introduced to Senator Keene, who is obviously not the Senator Keene from the Watchmen comic, who would be very, very old at this point, but maybe his son. Yeah, he looks a little disheveled, like he's real sad about what happened. His tie isn't exactly 100% up to his neck, which lets you know that he's disheveled. I'm sure this guy will have a part in this 
show to play at a later moment. And then Angela faints and she gets taken up to Judd and Judd's wife's room where his wife makes it very clear to Angela that she would like Angela to get those fuckers who did this to him. And then right when Judd's wife leaves the room, Angela's eyes open and (laughs) she faked it, dude. She's brought upstairs to a bedroom where Jane is brings her a glass of water and lets her know that Judd loved her like a daughter and that Jane is still here for her. And Jane tells her to stay up here and rest as much as she can. And she has to go downstairs to tend to the wake. Right. Then she pops out of bed and all of a sudden has x-ray goggles. Yeah. Pretty sweet. I really like the visual design on the x-ray specs and then also how it looks when she's looking through them. And she's going through Judd's stuff and she finds a secret compartment in the closet. Just like how Rojak finds a secret compartment in the comedian's closet. But instead of a superhero outfit... This is a Klansman robe with a sheriff badge on it. And do you believe that it's Judd's or perhaps Judd's father who's in the photo that they keep zooming in on? Yeah, who knows? It's So, in the next scene, she confronts Will, and Will doesn't seem to know anything about, you know, he said the skeleton's in the closet. She's like, well, yeah, I found this in his closet. And he's like, well, I didn't mean it literally. But, but to be fair, there was something else in the closet. Also, by the way, as she walks out, it zooms in on the painting that the show or this episode was named after. Will questions this as well. She says, you know, did someone plant this for me to find? And he's like, yeah, it's pretty weird that you would just hide a Klansman robe in your closet, especially if you're a person in Judd's position. And we're left to wonder if this is some kind of setup or if he is the kind of person that would just leave a Klansman robe where it could be easily found. And also, you know, kind of the strange way he was acting when Angela woke up after the white night and how, you know, he was supposedly attacked as well, but then was at her bedside to greet her when she woke up. And all of this seems suspect. And and, and Will is talking about it, and he keeps mentioning that there's a big conspiracy going on. And if he let her know the details of the conspiracy, it would... You know, uh, it would it would blow her mind apart, which, by the way, is what happened when, you know, anyone in proximity of the psychic squid got their mind blown apart. So Obi's name is also Will? Yeah, they, uh, well, I watch these with the subtitles on so I don't miss anything, and they kept calling you him son Will. son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, you, how dare you. Yeah, he also got out of his handcuffs and went across the street and was just like, making eggs when she walked in which was very uh cool for a 105 year old yeah somehow he who he houdinied out of his uh handcuffs also gotta ask how is this 105 year old alive is it just like a normal being alive or is it a extra kind of being alive yeah i mean robert redford is still alive in real life and very old probably too old to still be president also Ozymandias has still got some crazy machinations going on, even though he'd be very old as well. So it seems like old people generally are a bit more spry in this timeline. Although, who knows? Yeah, the, the real president of America is extremely old. Many of the people contending to replace him are extremely old. So maybe you and I are just a bunch of dirty ageists. We are a bunch of dirty ageists. Also, at the end of this scene, Angela gets a call and learns that OB slash William is her grandfather. 
And he came here to remind her where she came from. Him. It was him specifically. At Ozymandias's, I guess, European palace somewhere, he's putting on... Well, first of all, he goes through his garden and picks a tomato off a tree, which is not how that works. No, and then he eats it like an apple, and it's odd. So clearly, Adrian Veidt has not given up his hobby of genetic manipulation. Still very much doing that kind of stuff with his tomato trees. He has his birthday celebration again. Yeah, it seems like every day is his birthday. This time he doesn't eat the cake. He's in a hurry to get done. He has him sing the song much quicker, and then he blows out the candle. and wants. He's really excited to put on his stage piece and reminds them that he really wants to see emotions and he wants real tears to come out of the maid's eyes. He's obviously very obsessed with Dr. Manhattan's transformation. Like, this is what he focuses on all day. He doesn't even want his cake. He needs to get straight to the play. They put on the play, which is just a, a very pithy, talky version of what happened to Dr. Manhattan in reality when he had his intrinsic field separated and all his atoms scattered and he transformed into Dr. Manhattan, except this time the intrinsic field separator is just this metal box which burns Mr. Phillips to death. And at first I was like, oh, it's just like a special effect. He's not actually burning that guy to death. A a guy that I was pretty sure was either a robot, but now I think more specifically is a clone because of a thing that is about to happen. But you know, no, he lights that guy on fire. It's not even real acting. It's just, you know, reaction to being lit on fire. But I do think the maid is still acting and she's like, oh, this is where I have to pretend to be upset and cry. Yeah, this is where the tears happen. Let them flow. I have to think that this particular clone sealed his fate when he handed him the horseshoe. (laughs) And then Adrian's Mm. like, oh, yeah, it's not working out with this guy. Oh, you are about to be the one I light on fire tomorrow. After the play, all the other stagehands come in to take a bow, and they're all either clones of the maid or clones of the butler. And uh, they're all the same age. All have the same face and awkward, stilted disposition. And he takes one of the stagehands and promotes him to the new Mr. Phillips. And then the most important thing in this entire episode happens, James. A Mr. Phillips clone is completely nude. And as Dr. Manhattan covered in blue and he hangs dong. Yeah, whoa, Dong Watch 2019. Didn't think it was going to happen in the Watchmen. It did. It did happen. It turns out that Dr. Manhattan is always hanging Dong, and you are correct. Hashtag Dong Watch 2019 is in effect. Before they take the charred remains of the original Dr. Phillips down to the basement, where Adrian Veidt implies there's some more usefulness he can be gained from this guy, uh, he takes the charred watch which mr phillips had built for him you know he, he he breaks his dead fingers off of it so he can get it back gross creepy yeah but he takes the watchmaker's son watch and he he's like again he's just very obsessed with how dr manhattan became dr manhattan he also seems incredibly secluded and he is eating pine like i almost said pineapples he's eating fruits off of the tops of trees where they're not supposed to be 
there's an online theory where Dr. Manhattan has Adrian Veidt on Mars and he's just like creating a a world around him and he has like he's just in like a biosphere where he's able to have oxygen and everything but like it's just all one large mirage but I don't think that's true I just think he's by himself somewhere Right, and I think Adrian Veidt looking down the tunnel and seeing the end of his life coming is obsessed with wishing that he were Dr. Manhattan and being able to live forever and do all these incredible things. He tried his best to defeat Dr. Manhattan in the comics and just wasn't able to do it despite his best efforts. And I I got from this play that he's got some weird sense of jealousy about it. Oh, for sure. As he comes to, like you said, the end of his life, he's like, it's such such a bummer that I can't be on Mars and alive forever. Angela decides she's going to place Will under arrest and takes him to her car. And when she lifts him out of the wheelchair, you, her, her disposition kind of changes to one that's a bit more tender. Like, oh, this is my grandfather. My parents are gone. And I'm hugging him. She puts him safely in the car, and she's about to get in the driver's seat when a owl ship with an industrial magnet lifts her car into the sky, and she looks up completely confused as the World War I German propaganda flyer falls down into her hand. He literally has friends in high places, James. Yeah, it's. I wonder who Will is, the significance of the flyer. Maybe he's also part of like an anti-American or like anti-imperialist organization. And that's why he killed Judd, because Judd is actually a white nationalist, like double agent or something. It's interesting. Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with Will. But all I know is that he just got yoinked by a magnet, so... It's pretty high-tech stuff. Episode 2, really great. Um, I think one of the the things that just keeps getting underscored these past two episodes is that Regina King is great, and hopefully this is going to be a big star turn for her because she's killing it in this role, and uh, I want to see more of her. This is her opportunity to shine, and she is taking that opportunity and flying with it. She's so, so good. She's the entire anchor of this show. As we lose Donnie John as Judd Crawford, we don't have uh, we don't have exactly the character makeup that we thought we were going to. And it seems like next episode we're going to get like two other main characters just kind of thrown into the mix. Yeah, we're finally going to get Lori back, which is really cool to have one of the comic book characters. is going to be a new main character. Maybe it kind of seems like she's going to be taking Angela under her wing a little bit from the trailers. And, uh, you know, it looks like a Han Solo and Rey kind of relationship got going on. I will be astounded if Lori makes it out of season one alive. Right. And uh, speaking of Rey and Star Wars, they literally left the project because they were like they got a nine figure deal from netflix and they said quote there are only so many hours in the day and we felt we could not do justice to both star wars and our netflix projects that sounds like a bunch of crap that sounds like they got fired maybe they got fired or honestly it seems to me like star wars is kind of a sinking ship last jedi was extremely divisive solo absolutely bombed I know people are excited for Rise of the Skywalker, but I don't think the trailers make it look like it's going to be very good. 
I don't personally think J.J. Abrams is a great writer. I certainly don't think the guy that wrote Justice League, who's co-writing it, is a good writer. So I'm expecting that Rise of the Skywalker will be even more controversial than The Last Jedi. And I think that people probably don't want to put their name on such a hot... You know, uh, piece of garbage. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, it, there's so many expectations and everyone's hopes and dreams on these movies being perfect, and then when they're not, there's going to be all this fallout, and probably people don't want to take that risk unless you're you're invincible like J.J. Abrams. And uh, maybe after the end of end of Game of Thrones, they're like, yeah, we don't want to go through that again. No, so they're out of there. Just wanted to point that out really quick, but I also wanted to ask you this. So it seems like Will slash OB is immune to heat. Like he got the coffee right after it was made and just downs it. He pulls a boiled egg out of water with his hands. So is he just like a manly man or does he have, is he a little bit powerful? Yeah, well, clearly he's uh, a Targaryen and fire cannot burn a dragon. That's correct. We are going to get the second chance of a Targaryen not committing a mass genocide. Good luck, Obi. So you also, what, did you had good news and bad news? What was the good news that, that, that D&D walked away from Star Wars, or was that the bad news? You know, it could be perceived as either, but I think it was my, it was my good news. My bad news was that I was tired. I'm still very tired. <laughs> so I have what I think uh, was an interesting article that I found. This comes from ArsTechnica.com from their entertainment section. It's entitled Watchmen and the Golden Era of Single Season Series, which makes me think, what is, is Watchmen a single season series? I didn't, I never heard that. No, that's a, a phrase that is new to me. It starts out, HBO's choice to adapt two critically acclaimed book series, Game of Thrones and Watchmen, may seem like a case of two peas in a pod. Their game-changing works in their respective fields with cult followings and quote-unquote unadaptable reputations. But Game of Thrones and Watchmen differ in key respects, where they sit on over the epic television spectrum. Arguably, both examples prove in many ways that TV series needn't last multiple series to be considered great. I don't... Has has it been decided that Watchmen's only going to be a single season? Right, no, I, I or I don't, I don't know if it has only des- decided to be a single season. That's really, really bad. That's awful. I don't want that. Also, it, no, it feels like the pacing of this show at the moment feels like four to six seasons at least. When Game of Thrones ended in May of this year, a small cottage industry of warriors fretted that this was somehow the end of HBO. Yes. It's going down. HBO's <laughs> yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I also had that thought, too. Or at least I thought HBO Now is over. Really? I don't know. I think it will be fine. Although, to be fair, with Disney Plus coming out and with Apple whatever coming out, they, they're they trying their best. They're, I mean, they're throwing so much at the wall. They're spending so much on these new shows. And they need one of them to stick and get Game of Thrones numbers so, so badly. But HBO is already back with a new high-profile series inspired by Alan's more comic classic Watchmen. Showrunner Damon Lindelof insists that, like the Source comic, he plans to stick to a limited series run, instead of any intention to run the series for multiple seasons. Uh, what? <laughs> what? What are we going to do with this podcast? This was going to be our next four years. 
this is gonna this is our chance to finally get the clout, James, and they're just gonna rip it away from us. How I Oh my Oh my Christ. HBO's Watchmen results so far are promising and recall the golden age of TV miniseries. What happens when a series run is truly limited and every episode stakes matter? Hmm. Mm. I'm so hungry. I would love some steak. <laughs> well, so they go on to think of some examples of one, and I thought the, the interesting one to read would be Chernobyl, since you're a big fan of that, and it's a show that I definitely intend to watch at some point. Chernobyl's so good, dude. Just as Game of Thrones ended, HBO accidentally reminded the world that fantasy and long-running series were not the only road to a hit. Chernobyl was brutally short, five episodes all told, during which the series dove into the corrupt government layers that both caused the accident and then compounded the damage with a cover-up. Though it did condense history to make its larger point, it kept the narrative super tight. It was way too short. I wanted it to go on forever. But then at the end of it, I was kind of happy it was the length that it was it felt like when it got out it could have it could have had an episode or two more but to be fair it was also based on historical thing like things that actually happened so once they told the story they wanted to the way they told that story it, it was over it's just not like complete fiction where it can just go on forever this allowed audiences to absorb the horror of the incident without feeling like it was gratuitous by the time the finale rolled around, the series had done the impossible. It beat out the most-watched titan of HBO, Game of Thrones, in digital viewership. It turns out all you need to get audiences to tune in is a riveting story told well. I mean, yeah, and also for the world to talk about it, which Watchmen is kind of set up to do. Like, Game of Thrones was talked about because they started killing off all their main characters, and it was really good. Watchmen's taking the approach of offending everyone on Earth, and so that will make them watch it, question mark? Yeah, I think that's one thing that Watchmen does have on its side, is that it's not shying away from any hot-button political issues, and that's one of the things I really like about it. But if it's destined to be a miniseries, that's kind of tragic for me, because I'd It's just love, tragic I'd for us, because we don't... Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we just don't want that. It's that's oh that's it. the fact that it's a bummer it makes it a bummer don't 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 make it long have it be a long thing you sons of a bitches it had me thinking about other mini series and aside from Chernobyl are there any other mini series that you're a fan of Band of Brothers mm. the Pacific those things <laughs> yeah those are both really good uh, I believe it ran on HBO the mini series out of the play Angels in America is one of my favorite mini series out there. I have not seen those. I just watched Band of Brothers over and over again, specifically based on the episode, just over and over again. Uh, the John Adams miniseries was quite good, too. Um, Roots is a miniseries that I enjoyed a lot when I was younger. Hold on. Googling best mini <laughs> series. Jeez. Hold on, man. All time, baby. <laughs> Oh, man. Obviously, all the Ken Burns uh, It was all the ones you series. just said. It was all the ones you just said. That's it. Well, yeah. I guess I've, I've mainly seen the most famous ones. But all the Ken Burns miniseries, uh, baseball, Civil War, jazz. Jazz, Ryan, is way up your alley. You should watch the Ken Burns miniseries on jazz. You think I should watch the Ken Burns miniseries on Yaz? Yeah. 
lies. Apparently, Big Little Lies is a miniseries. Oh, the original It with Tim Curry was also a miniseries. It's just a two-parter, though. They should do uh, uh, Ken Burns' miniseries on Jizz, which is the Star Wars version of Jazz, which is like, George Lucas, did you not think about that for a second? You're going to call it Jizz? Did he not know? Does he lack (laughs) the critical information? So, James, do you think every episode is going to start with a flashback? Uh, that could be a calling card of the series. I I hope I really hope we get more American Hero story, uh, and it doesn't just focus on Hooded Justice, but it hits all of the Minutemen would be cool. Or I wonder if they're also going to do American Hero stories about the crime busters. They probably couldn't do a Rorschach episode with you know with what's been going on, but <laughs> they could do one of the other members. Right. Also, I think it stands to reason that Ob slash Will is hooded justice and and angela is the hooded justice's granddaughter that is a a a wild theory you're really swinging with for the fences with that one yeah and the tv show american hero gets it wrong and the hooded justice isn't white you dicks so i'm just taking a second to google here will watchmen be a miniseries How's it going, dude? Yeah, you know, I can't find anywhere other than that Ars Technica article that says that it's going to be a miniseries. Maybe it will be. Did they link anything? Maybe they're just making shit up. I mean, that is a good way to do journalism. It is the best way, or like the current best way to do journalism, yeah. Okay, according to friends of the show The Hollywood Reporter... (laughs) <laughs> we have we have cited several times in the past. Watchmen, David Lindelof suggests his HBO drama may last only one season. This is a rumor uh, being reported on by The Hollywood Reporter, who they were right about the Game of Thrones taking a year off and only having limited run of episodes, so who knows? Well, as long as the f- one season is 60 episodes, I'm fine with that. Right, yeah, it's one season that's going to run for five years. Interesting. That w- well played, Totally Lindelof. fine with that. <laughs> Bold move, Cotton. So if you're just listening to the show, it means a lot to us. Really, everyone out there listening, thank you so much. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Ryan is at Westworld Ryan. I'm at James Watches Men. Still the best Twitter <laughs> name all time. And hashtag HBO Boys, hashtag James Watches Men, best name, hashtag I just saw a picture, this is about Westworld, but I'm going to bring it up now, I just saw a picture of the season three and Clementine Pennyfeather is back. Yes! Uh, you know, she exploded, she's back. Penny, she, she back, baby, she back. And uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud and like us on SoundCloud, that would be cool. You could rate and review us on the iTunes podcast app. Uh, we should say a quick thank you to our patrons on Patreon, because we never do that. Ryan, you want to do that? Yes. John Jers just upped his amount from like two to five bucks, dude. What a thank fucking you. king. What a king, dude. Which I'm I'm just, I'm psyched for, I'm psyched for this show. P.S. And by the way, some inside baseball. Uh, the Watchmen show did really well for us. A lot of people actually watched this. Also, by the way, available on Spotify. Wait, you might be listening to it on Spotify right now. Enjoy the ad after this.
<laughs> no, that's Pandora, dude. It's fine. Well, and I guess if you don't have Spotify premiums, idiots. So who yeah, who are our patrons? I'm seeing it, dude. Who, who's our two patrons? We don't have two patrons. We have a few. Um, okay. Last charge. Oh, God. Our current patrons are Major Woody, Craig, Lee, Bacaman, John Jers, and Richard Hunter. These Thanks, are the guys, guys. Yeah, they pay for us to host the audio and put this show on. We don't want to run ads. We just want to thank them. And guys, the patrons out there, you could have a say in what goes on in the show. Contact us, man. You, we will read anything you want. We will read and review, or we'll watch and review anything you want, man. Get in, get in contact with us. And if if you want to sponsor our Patreon at the thousand dollar level, you get Ryan's personal phone number and he will answer at any hour of the day and talk to you about anything no matter how boring or perverted it is he has to sit there and listen until you hang up that is correct and if you give five thousand dollars you get my personal snapchat which is uh not safe for work no i just take pictures of fruit just like different fruits i just go around the world i see a good fruit i'm like (laughs) they paid five grand they're going to get to see this apple. Join us here next week uh, when we recap and review Season 1, Episode 3 of HBO's Watchmen, entitled, if you don't like my story, write your own, bitch. Wow. Is, <laughs> did you, Jesse Pinkman, that and just add a bitch at the end? Oh, no, sorry. That's uh, that's Episode 4. Episode 3 is entitled, no, God She damn Was it. Killed by Space Junk, which is, I think it's an even better title. Yeah, these titles are intensely complicated. I like them. All right, so we'll hear from you guys. Hopefully, hit us up on Twitter. We'll read your comments on the show. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. I'm sorry for being so, so tired. Yeah, and sorry we're a day late. It was Ryan's birthday. It was my, it was my, it was my birthday. It was my, it was my birthday. Thanks, guys. Just, Just, you know, increasing the odds that Ryan will be doxxed every day. Okay. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Okay, bye.